0: We'll be reading from Luke chapter 2. You'll find that on page 857 of the Blue Pew Bible. It's also in your order of worship. We'll be reading from verses 21 through 38. Listen carefully. This is the word of God. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Thamiel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was eighty-four. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. May the Lord add his blessing to this reading of his word. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would open our eyes again to this familiar passage we would see the wondrous things here written for us for your glory. We pray that we would see our Savior better this day. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, here in the second half of Luke 2, things may look a little anticlimactic. Previously, we've had angels, and we've had miraculous births, and we've had the host of heaven terrifying some poor shepherds. By contrast, in this passage, things seem relatively quiet. We've got a child circumcised on the eighth day and given the name Jesus. There's no glorious songs like Zechariah's at John's circumcision. Luke reports this almost as a checkoff. We get a bit more detail in the temple, but even these intriguing meetings don't seem very dramatic. Certainly seem less dramatic than the glory of God shining from the heavens. A little people there in the temple that day may not have even noticed that anything unusual had happened. But Luke shows us quite a lot of how important this is. Now, when we read the Old Testament we do so shaped by Jesus' words in Luke 24, that the law and the prophets spoke of him. And he actually castigates those disciples he was walking with because they didn't understand that. Because their hearts were hard, and they didn't realize that all of what we call the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus. But I want you to see that even before Jesus tells us that, Luke is actually showing us that, that in this event so early in Jesus' life, God is already proclaiming him as the fulfillment of his promises, and in a way that this chapter serves as a bookend at the beginning of the book to the end to what Jesus will tell us in chapter 24. Luke shows us this fulfillment through two couples— First is Joseph and Mary. The second is Simeon and Anna. They have something to teach us about how we should respond to Jesus. First couple is Joseph and Mary. In verse 22, we see Mary and Joseph taking the baby Jesus to Jerusalem. Now, when Herod was trying to kill the newborn king of the Jews, he had all of those under two years killed, because he had an idea of when he might have been born. So we can assume at this time, this is very early in Jesus' life, we can assume that after these 40 days, that they were probably still in Bethlehem, probably at this point staying with relatives. Luke doesn't tell us everything we'd like to know. There's all kinds of questions we would like to ask. He's selective in his reference to the rituals of what exactly they were there to do in the the temple. But instead of a detailed explanation of what Joseph and Mary needed to do, his focus is why, according to the law of Moses as it is written in the law of the Lord. And Luke doesn't tell us that Joseph and Mary were righteous and blameless before God. He shows us that they were, that they were seeking to keep the law in its complete aspect. In verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens a womb shall be called holy to the Lord. We hear there the sort of late echo of Gabriel's promise to Mary. He shall be called holy, the Son of God. But of course, that idea of the firstborn has been coming for a long time. In verse 24, we get a third mention of the law in their sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord. Luke clearly wants us to pick up law here. That they are doing what the law calls them to do. So according to the law, they offered a sacrifice, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. The sacrifice tells us right here how humble of what humble a state they were. This is the, the poor person's sacrifice the one who could not afford a bigger sacrifice. There's two things going on here. There's Mary's sacrifice for her purification after giving birth and the presentation of her firstborn son. When she's there at the temple, she would testify before a priest that, yes, this is my child, this is my firstborn son. And then Joseph would pay the redemption price Five shekels of silver because the firstborn son belonged to the Lord and the father, the earthly father, would buy him back. Now, there's a lot that Luke doesn't tell us. He doesn't point out a whole bunch of stuff that is sort of behind the scenes or or reading between the lines here we need to see that this is the culmination, this is the fulfillment of all those Old Testament references to the firstborn son. That the one of the highest stature, that all of those were pointing to this child, to Jesus, the eternal son come in human form. And all of the sacrifices, all of the rituals in the law were pointing to Jesus, to his perfect sacrifice to come. And the eternal Son has humbled himself. He has taken on our flesh, he has subjected himself to all of our pains, he has placed himself under the law. Luke also doesn't point out that they're in the temple. What's the temple? It's the place where God has chosen to be present with his people. Before that, it was the tabernacle. He doesn't point out the importance that the temple is passing away. This gigantic, beautiful, astonishing building is turning into a relic. Because walking in is the temple is Jesus Christ in the the arms of his mother who carried him for nine months, who sheltered God in her womb, and now the temple is here. That There's no need for this big giant building because the temple is in her arms. The presence of God with his people is in her arms. But to the observer, to just someone watching them walk in, into this beautiful building, walks a poor woman carrying a little baby and a man with her. Imagine, Mary, imagine being at the holiest place in Israel with your little baby born under the strangest of circumstances and an old man walks up to you. Camera shifts. Camera shifts from Joseph and Mary there in the temple to carry out the commands of the law to Simeon, a man righteous and devout who was waiting for the consolation of Israel. It's a quick introduction to him, but that places him immediately in a very small group. Those explicitly described in scripture as righteous, Noah, Job, in this gospel, Zechariah and Elizabeth. In Acts, the Jews describe Cornelius as righteous. It's a very, very rare description. Righteous and devout is what he was. What he was doing was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for the complete promises of the prophets that language though and that tells us that the focus has moved from law to prophecy consolation is the result of being comforted so to say that he's waiting for the consolation of israel is a, is a direct call out to what we heard from isaiah from chapter 40 comfort comfort my people says your god if you've ever spent any exciting hours reading commercial contracts, you know that sometimes they use the phrase included by reference. That's a way to make other documents binding, just as if they had been included in the document you're looking at. So what you're actually reading and signing may only be a couple of pages, but they have included by reference perhaps an entire library shelf of other documents. The federal government is famous for doing that. Luke is doing something very similar here by referencing Isaiah, by referencing the consolation of Israel. He's bringing into view that latter part of the book of Isaiah from chapters 40 on. So Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel and what that looks like is described in those chapters of Isaiah. Isaiah. Luke tells us further that the Holy Spirit was upon him. That's a sign of a gifting, a preparation for service, a preparation for office. We heard that he was righteous and devout. We need to see him as a prophet as well. Verse 26, we see that it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. There's that prophetic gifting that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Simeon is waiting for the Lord's Christ, for the Messiah, because he is the instrument by which all of the promises will be brought about. He's waiting for the Messiah and for the age that the Messiah will bring in. Luke doesn't tell us how old Simeon is, but we get the sense that he's pretty old. A promise not to see death means a lot more when you are 75 than when you're 20. It tells us he's been waiting a while. Verse 27 tells us that he came in the Spirit into the temple. The Spirit is not just on him, but is moving him to the holiest place In the holiest city of Israel. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, and see God's hand at work here, bringing Joseph and Mary in under the law, Holy Spirit moving Simeon toward them, he, Simeon, took him, Jesus, up in his arms and blessed. What do you expect? What do you expect when this older guy takes this little baby and is going to give a blessing? Who's he going to bless? We expect the older to bless the younger. No, he turns his blessing, his praises toward God. He blessed God and then said, Now, Master or Lord, let, or maybe you are letting, your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. People have frequently read depart as die. God said that to Abram in Genesis 15, and that's certainly possible. But the immediate sense here seems to be that of a servant Perhaps a watchman being relieved by his master from his duty. Yes, you've served, your time is over. You may be relieved now. He held the child and he looked into his eyes, and again we hear Isaiah, Isaiah 52, the voice of your watchman. They lift up their voice, together they sing for joy, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord in Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his, his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The emphasis in what Simeon says in the original language is on the now. Now, Lord, Now, this is a singular event. This is something new under the sun. Simeon recognizes this now brings a new age. The age of anticipation is closing. And he recognized that now he lives in the age of fulfillment. He has lived to see the Lord's Christ and now he has seen him and nothing will be the same. Out of this recognition comes his beautiful and powerful speech. But remember that Luke has marked this as prophecy. This is not just Simeon sharing his feelings with us. The Holy Spirit is on him. He recognizes this child as the one who will bring peace. Zechariah set a light to guide our feet into the way of peace. The peace proclaimed by the angels saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. That's the peace in which Simeon will depart according to your word. God specifically told Simeon that he would not die before seeing the Lord's Christ. We see that fulfilled. But we also see the whole of Revelation through history fulfilled the salvation promised in the word in the law and in the prophets is now here verse 30 for my eyes have seen your salvation for my eyes have seen your salvation listen to what simeon says i have looked at this child and i have seen your promised salvation Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua, God saves. Simeon does not ask how this child will save God's people. It is enough for him to know that through this child, God will indeed fulfill all his promises. verse 31 Simeon says that this salvation has been prepared in the presence of or before the face of all peoples not just Israel all peoples and again he's referencing the prophecy of Isaiah and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together Isaiah 52, the Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Verse 32, Simeon tells us that that salvation is to be a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Again, Isaiah in chapter 42, and I will appoint you, as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners for the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. In Isaiah 49, God says to his servant, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. You hear what Simeon is saying? This one, this child, is Isaiah's promised servant. This one will show the light of the glory of God into the darkness of the pagan nations and will bring glory to Israel. Verse 33 says that, and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. I can imagine that that would be quite an understatement. They are still trying to understand what's going on. Luke has taken a pause from Simeon to tell us how Joseph and Mary are taking all this in. Perhaps to give us a breather as well. But Simeon's song is changing keys from the triumphant strains of light and glory he now changes to a minor key this child is Isaiah's servant this child is also Isaiah's suffering servant verse 34 and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother behold this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Simeon, still speaking in the spirit, tells all those who are there, all who are listening, what Jesus' ministry will look like as Jesus Himself asks in Luke twelve, "Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. He came not to unify, but to divide." And again, Simeon is pointing back to Isaiah. This child is both the stone of offense and the rock of stumbling of Isaiah eight. And the God-laid foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation in Isaiah 28. People today say silly things about Jesus. You'll hear people say, well, he had some good things to say. He was a wise teacher. I would say that they're being intellectually dishonest. They have failed to confront the claims about him, those made about him, like Simeon, those he made about himself, that all of Scripture pointed to him. You cannot examine those claims and remain lukewarm. The people who heard Jesus speak did not. Just as Simeon said, he caused division between those who heard him and believed and those who heard him and rejected him. How would you react when someone says, behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. People wanted to see Jesus perform signs, but they did not understand that he was a sign, a sign of God's love, a sign of God's judgment. And by their reaction to Jesus, they revealed manifested the inner condition of their hearts. What was invisible became visible when they faced Jesus. Have you suffered in this life? Imagine how Mary suffered. She did not wonder what it meant to have found favor with God in those days. Her faith was indeed great. Nonetheless, she found solace in the same place offered to us in the resurrection of Jesus. Luke records in the first chapter of Acts that Mary was among those meeting with Jesus' disciples after his ascension. What sorrow, but what joy she must have experienced. After Simeon, there's one more speaker. Verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phaniel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Notice the detail that Luke gives us on Anna compared to what he told us on Simeon. He was obviously able to find a good deal of information about Anna that he couldn't on Simeon. So he gave us what he had on Simeon, and he left it. He did not try to create a backstory or create a genealogy for him. He just told us what he knew, the the sign of a good historian. Now, With Simeon, we sort of had to figure out that he's speaking prophetically, but not so with Anna. What is she? She's a prophetess. Luke's wording here is not as clear as we'd like. It's possible to read it as saying she lived 84 years after her husband died, making her quite old. In any case, she's pretty old. And instead of telling us, Luke shows us how devout she is. She's a prophetess. She's a faithful widow of many decades. She's in the temple worshiping and praying and fasting continuously. What's Luke's message What's, what's his point in telling us this? That we need to listen to what she has to say. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Israel. Since here she began to respond in thanks to God. She too has been shown by the Holy Spirit exactly who this child is. That recognition leads her to respond in praise to God and to begin telling people what he is doing. That the long-awaited Messiah, the consolation of Israel, the Redeemer of God's people is here at last. This passage, we've seen Jesus' faithful law-keeping parents. We've seen them met by prophets Rejoicing that both the law and the prophets were now fulfilled. Simeon and Anna rejoiced to see the one in whom that fulfillment was coming. It was enough for them. As blessed as this man and this woman were, we are more blessed. Blessed. We have seen the completion of Jesus' work. We have seen the cross. We have seen salvation in Jesus proclaimed clearly to us. We live in the age of fulfillment, even though we still wait for its consummation. What suggests that both Simeon and Anna can be models for how we respond to Jesus. Simeon is relieved that he may now stand down, that his watch is over. Can you can you stand down? Can you stop trying to work out your own salvation? Can you no longer seek to please God? enough to be saved can you rest in knowing that this child this jesus grew up and went to the cross for you that he has done the work for you there's no way that you can help nothing for you to add that makes your salvation better can you enjoy the rest that you have in christ's finished work the other hand, do you have the joy that Anna had? The joy that made her overflow in praise to God? If not, what's your excuse? It's not that you've seen God's salvation less clearly than her. On the contrary, we haven't just seen, been promised it at some time in the future. Brothers and sisters, God has seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. So rest in his finished work, but don't just rest. Rejoice, rejoice and go and tell everyone you know what God has done for you. Let's pray. Lord and our God, we thank you for showing us this episode early in Jesus' life. Thank you for the picture we see of fulfillment. Thank you that Simeon and Anna were able to see your promises in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that we see even more We see the completion of his work, that we by faith may rest in his salvation, and then we may go out and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to all. Pray these things in his name. Amen.